Well, all right. Well, listen. The last few weeks, month, we've been talking a lot about, you know, we talk about taking thoughts captive and, and the spiritual battles that we fight and, and the things that we go through and how we got to stand and what we got to go through to get, to get through stuff and all that. Well, the next few weeks, I want to shift gears just a little bit. And what that's going to mean is that means that we may have to get our eyes and our focus off of us and got it on others. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have fights. You're not going to have battles. You're not going to have trials and tribulations and turmoil. That's going to happen. But I believe that we're in a season that it's, it's time for us to take a look at what's going on and make sure that we are getting out there and doing what we're supposed to do. The title of this message is, these, the title of this message is, is coming the whole, the theme of it is go fish. All right? And you'll see where I'm going in a minute. In Matthew 9, 37, it said, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, it's really easy. We can take that scripture verse and we can beat people up. You need to be out there doing but But what we're seeing is, with all the chaos that's going on in the world today, it's so easy for us to think, with all the chaos, there's nothing I could possibly do. How can I possibly make a difference? Because it is craziness out there. Our country is divided, and I'm telling you, you've got to be very, 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 very careful because that spirit is going to try to infiltrate the church as well. Do not be a part of it. Just don't. You get to choose, folks. You get to choose, all right? So the point is, is I wanted to start with that scripture verse because I believe the hour we're, we're in what are people looking for? People are looking for something that is going to change something. Anything. They want something to change. They, they're looking for an answer. I personally do not believe getting rid of all of our trains, planes, and automobiles is the solution. That's not going to bring happiness or joy. I don't believe that. I don't think that's the answer. The only answer that I can come up with is a spiritual one, and it's Jesus, because if you get hold of Jesus and the joy of the Lord, what else is going on doesn't matter. But here's my point. If, if you are waiting for someone to ride in in a, a knight in shining armor in here to have this great big sermon where everybody blows up and we've got a region-wide um, outbreak of revival, you're mistaken. The knight in shining armor is already here, church. That'd be you. And, and we're waiting, if we're waiting for God to make a great big move at this altar, that's great, He will. But where He needs to be moving is out there. And how does that happen? Through you. That's the only place, it's the only way. God's got to do that through us. And so, Jesus, now I want to, I'm going to back up, I'm going to do some prefaces, lay some groundwork, and talk just an overview of some things, and then I'll get to it. See, one thing Jesus said after. And, and I'll get into this next week. He said, after he saw the multitude, the multitude was weary and scattered, like a sheep having no shepherd. All right? And, and, and he had compassion on them. And, and we're going to have to really make sure that we are in the people-loving business. Because, because the people-loving business, people that, are, that we're going to be dealing with aren't necessarily lovable or loving or caring. They're a mess. Because the world is a mess. I don't know where you were at before you came to Christ. I was a mess. Somebody loved me anyway. Somebody helped me anyway. I, I remember the first experience I had when I saw the power of God 
move. I was, I was just a heathen kid, and this Christian family had a contracting company, and they were going down to Big Rapids to, to do a job. Well, they, you know, and I was kind of looking for a job. They knew who I was, and so they asked me if I wanted to come. I'm like, well, six weeks. I had to move to Big Rapids for six weeks. They put us in a house and, um, for the people they were building and all this and that. And these were a bunch of Christians, and I wasn't. And I'm thinking to myself, why? What am I doing here? Why do you want to be around me? But see, they had an agenda. I didn't know it, but they had an agenda. All right? Now, did I get born again and on fire for God right then? No, but there were some powerful, powerful seeds that were planted through those people. The first time I ever saw it, I will never forget, they would always, they'd always bring us lunch every day. They'd prepare lunch, we'd be working, they'd come and we'd have lunch and, and you know, we'd take a break. And, but these people, every time they'd take a break, they would pray, we'd have lunch, they'd pray. We're on the jobs, things weren't going right, they'd pray, pray, pray all the time, praying. I'm saying, my God, let's just get to work, you're praying. All this praying you're doing. Well, they came to lunch, these gals came to lunch, and this guy had a great big Cadillac, a big burgundy Cadillac, you know, land yacht. And it was an older one, and, and, you know, and so the gal got in the car, and she, it wouldn't start. Click, 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 wouldn't start. And I'll never forget this. We're on the roof, and we're shingling or something. She gets out of the car and throws herself in the hood of the car. Boom! Lord, in the name of Jesus, we just pray for this car to start. And I'm like, she's lost her mind. This woman is nuts. I'm thinking, you're going to throw yourself in the hood of the car, and you're going to pray. And she got in the car, and it started. I just about fell off the roof. I was like, woo, there's something about these people. All right? But my point in saying all that is, guess what? Religion and would say, you don't have any business being around him. He's a heathen. It's a good thing that Jesus didn't have that attitude when he came here. We have got to go into the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, labors are few, and we're going to have to go into the harvest field to do it. Again, because I want to shift gears a little bit. We've got to, it's got to stop being, and we've talked about, look, we have fights and we have battles, and I know all that. I have them myself, but we've got to get past that to be able to see that, that, that God wants to touch a world that is a wreck and going down fast. I mean, it's going down fast, faster than I ever thought it could or would. I mean, because listen, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, this is America. We'll right the ship. Not unless we get a spiritual light. We're right. The ship's not getting righted. It's going down, folks. People ask me, what's the world coming to? An end. Whether today or tomorrow, whenever, it's coming to an end. Time is short for some people. But now I want a, a little bit of review here. I believe that we're in this season where we really need to emphasize getting out into the harvest field. Now, that's a 24-7, 365, that's what we need to be doing. But I just, for whatever reason, God stirred in my heart to say, you know what, it's time to get out and do some stuff, sowing the seed, planting the seed, doing some stuff, all right? Now, here's an overview. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to kind of give you an overview of it. Jesus, now, you back up a little bit in the next chapter 4, Jesus got baptized. Holy Spirit came down. God said, this is my son. I'm well pleased. Immediately, Jesus was taken into the desert and tempted 40 days. Now listen, anytime that you think that you're going to do something or want to do something for Jesus, the tempter is going to come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to. 
Expect it. Happened to Jesus, don't think that you're going to be left out. So then here's what happened. Jesus goes to Galilee and taught in the synagogues, and people were amazed. Then he went from Galilee to Nazareth. This is where he was from. I'm in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 through 29. And this is where Jesus read a scripture and said, this day this is fulfilled, and the people went berserk. Because basically he says, I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. And so if you read on, here's what happened. He was, the people, he was tempted by Satan, goes to Galilee, taught in the synagogues, went to Nazareth, declared who he was. People threw him, it says they threw him out of the city, and they were going to throw him over a cliff. Over a cliff. Because he declared these things. Now listen, that's kind of the spiritual opposition we're going to run into. People are not going to necessarily be happy with you telling them, hey, Jesus loves you. This may be, this is sin, so you decide. I cannot control people's lives. I can't do it. I can't. We've got dominion and authority over a lot of things, but I cannot control somebody's life. I can lay it out there and say, choose this day whom you're going to serve. And they walk away, guess what? They can walk away. I can still love them. I can still do all of that. Hmm? Yeah, amen. So, but this is the thing that amazed me about Jesus. And, and if you do a little bit of research in the Bible, you see it more, you see it other times too. They, they, they grabbed him, they took him out of the city, they were going to throw him over a cliff, and then it says, he just walked away. And I'm like, did he blind him? Did he, did he go ghost on him? Ghost mode, that's a, that's a, that phone thing, I, I don't know much about it other than I hear, well, they're ghosting me, and I'm like, what the heck demonic thing is that? And so, how did he, how, other than I know he was Jesus, but they had him by their hand, they were going to throw him over a cliff, and he just walked away from him. I'm like, wow. That was just a tidbit. I mean, there wasn't any real point to that other than I thought it was pretty fascinating. But understand, here's the thing. You think about this. Jesus goes to teach in the synagogue, and then he goes to his hometown, preaches his first sermon, and they want to kill him. Boy, there's a great way to start your ministry. Woo! I go preach, and they want me dead right off the get. Now, very interesting, some things that happen, and I'm, I'm not getting into the answers of the why and the theologicals, this is and that's, but in Luke chapter 4 and verse 31, moving on, Jesus is in, the, in Capernaum, a city of, it's a city, Capernaum is a city of Galilee, and he's teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his words, he had much authority, things that they maybe hadn't seen before. In verse 33, now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? The demons knew why he was there and who he was and what he was all about. Maybe the people didn't yet. And so he said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons knew that he was the Messiah when people didn't. But this was interesting to me too. Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet, shut up. 
Now, I don't know if that's because Jesus didn't want his identity revealed right at that point, or he wasn't going to allow a demon to reveal that. I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to do some more study on that and, and the wise. But I just thought, he told him, shut up and come out of him. And then it's interesting that he says, and the demon had thrown him, um, be quiet, come out of him. When the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him, but it did not hurt him. So that would be like, okay, something's happening. Be quiet in the name of Jesus, come out of him. Boom, he gets thrown right in the midst of him. And the demon comes out of him, but the guy's not hurt because he got hurled forward. There's some crazy stuff in the Bible. That, boy, I'll tell you what, if something like that happened in a church service today, I don't know, man. That'd be kind of cool. Maybe people would believe or maybe people would run for their lives. I don't know. But we, you know, but I, I truly believe that God wants to deliver people. I truly believe that that's, you know. And so... And so it says, then they were all amazed, in verse 36, and they spoke among themselves, saying, what, what a word this is, for with authority and power he commands unclean spirits. And they came out. And listen to this. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding regions. When the power of God moves, people notice and things happen. In your life, your life, the power of God that's in you, your life is that witness, your life. You can confess that power of God in your life. It can happen in their life. And when they see that, it goes out. People start talking. You know, we always talk about if the power of God can just hit this place, there can be revival. Well, I don't know if any of you, unless you've been living under a rock, everybody knows who Billy Graham is. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists probably the planet's ever known. And I always wondered, because I, I watched his crusades on TV, and, and when I got born again, I used to just study, you know, because I used to go around and preach and evangelize, and I used to study what he was doing. And I'm like, how is it? Because, I, and, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but Billy Graham wasn't the most flowery speaker I've ever heard, you know? Pretty straightforward, a little bit dry, but, but powerful, you know? But then he'd do this. Make a commitment for Christ. 5,000 people would show up at the altar. You know, so, you know, I go up there, Scout goes up there and says, make a commitment for Christ. Crickets. But here's the thing. Billy Graham had an evangelist anointing. But let me tell you how his crusades worked. They would go into a city one year before they'd ever have the crusade. They'd get 25, 30, 40, 50 churches together, as many that worked together. And they'd go into each church, they'd present what they were going to do, and they would tell every person in the congregation, you pray, and you think of five people that you would like to see born again this year. Five. Write them down. And in the next year, you find a way to sow into their lives, to befriend them, to... Try to evangelize them, try to love them, all these things. All with the point of inviting your, the person that you've developed a relationship with to this meeting. They come to the meeting, the Holy Spirit pricks their heart, they come down, they get saved. Well, guess who they go home with? The person they've got a relationship with that's in Christ already. Powerful. It's powerful. But guess who it started with? It wasn't, it, yes, he had an anointing, 
But there was a whole bunch of seed and groundwork that was, groundwork that was done by the church, us, going out there and finding. But we've got to commit to going into the harvest field because that's where the harvest is. Folks, you are already harvested. So we've got to get out there because I believe this next move of God that everybody's talking about is going to happen in the marketplace, out there. Because when it happens out there and they get free out there and the power of God hits them out there, they'll follow you back here. So in Luke 4, and moving on a little bit, again, we're just getting background here. So Jesus then, he rose from the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now it's important to understand Simon because this is Simon Peter. Okay? And in a little while that will, it, it, it's, it means something. But Simon's wife's mother, all right, his mother-in-law was sick with a high fever. And they made a request of Jesus concerning her. So he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and she served them. Okay? Now, this was interesting. Again, this is all just tidbits that are interesting. It doesn't really... When the, when the sun was setting, all those who had now had any that were sick with various diseases, brought them to Jesus, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, when I was reading that, it just struck me when the sun was setting. I'm like, what, what's the deal? Well, understand that it was the Sabbath. Jesus was teaching it was the Sabbath. And later on in your Bible, Jesus healed a, a man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees went crazy. Okay? But at this particular time, for whatever reason... Jesus didn't declare that, but because of their laws, and I don't know if it was that Jesus was just not, he was wanting the people to bring them and knew that they're not going to bring them because of the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and their laws. And he said, when the sun is setting. So once the Sabbath was over, they brought all these sick people and healed them. Okay? And that's just a tidbit. I don't know exactly what that significant was, significance was of the sun setting other than People sometimes get intimidated by religion, and then religion doesn't allow God to move. Okay? So, when the sun was setting, and then, because again, remember, he'd been in the synagogue, they saw this power of God. Then he went to Simon Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law. And they were healed. And so, and then in Luke 4, 41, and then even in that healing session, demons also came up many. And again, if they confess, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, to that point, no one had identified Jesus as the Messiah except himself. He declared in the synagogue in Nazareth, today this scripture is fulfilled. And they're saying, oh, so you think you're the Son of God, huh? Let us kill you now, because that's blasphemy. So the demons, again, he told them, he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak because they knew he was Christ. So the power of God manifests. Demons recognize him. He told them to shut up. And I believe that the, the power of God manifests in our life as well. And how does that manifest? Your testimony is a power of God. The power of God changed your life. And let me tell you about being out in the harvest field, and I'm getting to the cast and the net and launching to the deep, and I've got some points to make with that. But just as a side note, some of you know Pat, Pat Tucker, sitting in the back here. He was at McDonald's the other day, in the bathroom. 
And, and this man started up a conversation in the bathroom. Kind of a strange place to have a conversation. It's not something I would normally do, strike up a conversation with another dude in the bathroom. This guy was from India, all right? And so this guy had talked to him, something like this, and, and Pat shared a little bit about his testimony. Well, hey, man, you know, God's done this in my life, blah, 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 blah. And what was the comment the guy made? Your words bring peace. Your words are bringing me peace. I'd like to talk to you more. So for the next half hour, they sat down at McDonald's, and he was able to share the gospel with him. And he said, and I quote, I feel so much love from what you are saying. Now, it would have been really easy to say, Psh, you're from India, you're probably a Hindu. I don't want nothing to do with you. Take your religious hats off. Can you think back of where you were at and what Jesus did for you and every person on this planet deserves an opportunity? They can reject Christ if they want to. That's on them. But we need to make sure that we are conveying the love of Christ to those people because that may be the only love they're ever going to experience. I deal with kids a lot, and I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of kids that have no understanding of what parental love is. None. They're an inconvenience. They've been told they've been an inconvenience their whole life. And then somebody that says, man, I believe in you, I love you, they don't know what to do with that. You know, as I was exercising, I was on a run the other day, and I don't know why these strange thoughts just hit me sometimes. I was thinking, you know, because I don't know about you guys, but once in a while I, gr I grumble about things. And, and the Lord said, well, be thankful. I said, well, I am thankful, Lord. He says, be thankful that you were born where you were born. And I got thinking about that. I could could have been born in a, in a grass hut in Ethiopia. I could be born in a place where we don't have an opportunity for food or a house. Or, or I could have been born in a place that if you confess Christ, your head's coming off. Or you're going to be put in prison and beat. And then I got thinking, we're so blessed. I believe, well, I don't have to believe it. The Bible says it. We are commanded. To be a witness. We've got to get our focus off of us and our little isms and our little schisms and our little wants and our little desires and think about God, your desire. Today, I, I don't want anything, Lord. I just want to love you and I want to love others and help me do that. And what does that look like? It's going to look different to every, every person. And I'll get to that in just a minute. And next week, I'll get into a little bit more. And then the week after that, I'll, hopefully we'll be able to finish it off. So now I want to go to Luke chapter 5. And so it was as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. Now, probably some of you know this, some of you, you, you Bible folks, but this was, this Lake Gennesaret, it was the Sea of Galilee. And I'm thinking, talk about this lake, this lake, this lake, but it's all the Sea of Galilee. Well, the Sea of Galilee really isn't a sea. It's a lake. But what happened is you'd get little communities that are around this, the Sea of Galilee, and they would just adopt that section of the, the lake to call their own. So it was a city, Gennesaret, and they just called it, this is our lake, Lake Gennesaret. But it's all the Sea of Galilee. And again, that's just information. And so it was the multitude pressed 
them. He went off into, he, he, after he left Peter's house, Simon Peter's house, he went off into the wilderness and by the sea here, by the lake. And many gathered around him. And he saw two st- boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then they got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, the same Simon that his mother-in-law got healed. Same guy. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, this is where I really wanted to get to today. In Luke chapter 5, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered it to him and said, Master, we have toiled all night. Now, listen, that word master is interesting because most of the Hebrews would have called him rabbi because they saw him as a teacher. They didn't consider him the Messiah, but he called him master. Still didn't really recognize him as the Messiah. All right? And again, just a tidbit. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let the net down. Now, why did he do it at his word? He'd already seen the power of God. He'd already seen what God could do, the the power of God through Jesus, right? All right. So here's, here's my whole point. This is the whole go fish thing. Now, Peter had seen, or Simon, Simon Peter, he had seen this powerful stuff happen. People in the region had seen it happen. I believe that we are in a season where those are the types of things that we need to be seeing happen in our lives. Not here, not necessarily at the pulpit, but wherever you're at, where you're at the job, where you're at your workplace, wherever God has you. Now, a couple of points I want to make. Launch out into the deep and let your neck down. Now, something that struck me when I was reading this and studying this, They had fished all night. They had fished and fished, and they hadn't caught anything. And they're cleaning their nets. Think about this. You were tired. You've been fishing. How many of you people have gone to the same place, and you've sown, and and, and just seems like nothing, nothing, nothing? But at the word of the Lord, he said, go back to the same place that you had just fished all night long and caught nothing, and look at what he said. It said, let down your nets for a catch. He didn't say, for maybe catching something, you might catch something, you will catch something. There's a couple of things here. The first thing is obedience. Launching out into the deep, that can, that can indicate a whole lot of things. That could be a scary place. Maybe it's a place that you're not comfortable. Maybe God's asking you to do something that you're not comfortable with. Like, talk to some dude in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something you get up in the morning and say, I'm going to the bathroom and hang out at McDonald's. Maybe someone will come in and I can evangelize. That's creepy. All right? But you have to be obedient, right? And it didn't make any sense because the research I showed, the best fishing, at least on the Sea of Galilee, was at night. And so they fished at night. And they'd done all their fishing. They didn't catch anything. And you're telling me in the middle of the day when we know that there's nothing there, you want me to go and let down my nets, you're going to tell me we're going to get a catch. Right. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've been up all night toiling hard and caught nothing and somebody said, well, go back there and do it again, they may not get a yes, master, at your word. They might get another word. But there's a couple of things here. First, they obeyed, but what were they obedient to? His word. It's his word. This is the power. It's not me. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit with us, within us. And this word that does is it's the power. It's at his word. At his word, I will do what you said. 
at your word, I will be obedient to this. And look what happened. They caught a multitude, so they had to call over another boat, and, and, and they couldn't even haul it in. So there's a couple of things. All right? Now, the other points I wanted to make with this. Notice where Jesus used them. Wasn't in the synagogue. It's out in the wilderness. Out there somewhere. And then I'm not just telling you. I'm telling me. I got to do the same thing. I'm out there, you know, because, you know, people, people ask me all the time, well, how come, you know, you're not teaching anymore? How come, how come you're, you're still coaching, you know, kids and stuff? Because it's a connection to kids. It's an opportunity to sow into kids. And I will do that until I feel like God's released me from that. He released me from teaching. We were obedient to that. Until I'm released from that, why? Because apparently God still has something for me to do there and I'm not leaving until it's done. Is it inconvenient? Oh, sometimes, yeah. All of you have children. It's not always easy. It's not always necessarily fun, but it's not going to be. But listen, Peter didn't say, this is no fun, I don't want to do this. He just said, okay, at your word, I've toiled all night, I'm going to do it one more time, I'm going to go back to me. Maybe some places where we thought we're absolutely dead. There's nothing there. I've already been there, tried that, done that, written them off. Maybe he's calling you to go back into the deep where you fished before and didn't catch anything. That's going to be between you and the Lord. That's something you're going to have to determine. I can't determine it for you. I can't live your life for you. Notice, the Lord said for a catch, and I truly believe that the catch is there, and we're going to see that catch. And I am not concerned about, I'm not concerned about getting out there to bring people into this church. I am more concerned about people making it in the kingdom of God into heaven and getting saved than I am necessarily filling these church seats. But if, you, if the power of God through your testimony, through your witness, through all of this reaches somebody and they get born again and they get on fire for God, they're going to follow you back here anyway. So this isn't a fill the church program. This is a fill the kingdom program. Where they land is between them and God. Love to have them. But wherever they're going to, whatever they've got to go, where they've got to grow, whatever. See, Peter had seen the power of God, so based on that, he obeyed. See, the miracle was based on the word of God saying, go do this. At your word, Lord. So casting the net. Now notice, he used, Peter was a fisherman. I truly believe he used Peter right where he was at. He used the tools that he knew Peter knew how to use, and he showed him. Do this. He obeyed him. Now, after they came in, he said, you are now going to be fishers of men. They left their thing, and I'm not telling you to quit your job. But they left their livelihood, and they followed Jesus. All right? There's some things we got to leave behind to follow him. You're just going to have to. You have to. It, listen, and I, I would love to tell you it's some easy way, but it's not. When I got born again, there were some things I had to leave behind. There were some relationships that I had to separate from because they weren't godly, they weren't going with God, and, I, and it was going to bring me in the wrong direction. Because early on in my Christianity, I wasn't strong enough to do anything. As a matter of fact, I graduated from college in May. I was going back to graduate school 
in August and I got born again in June and I could not go back there. I had a graduate assistantship. I, I had it made. I was going to get, a, I was going to get a, a, a graduate degree in kinesiology, big money, working with athletes. It was great. But I knew that if I stepped foot back on that campus at that time, there's no way that I would have been able to walk this thing out with the Lord. So I got married instead, which is a good thing. But my point is this, is that there's some things when you come to Christ, there's some things that are going to fall away, but he's going to use where you're at, what you've got. Peter knew how to use a net. Simon Peter knew how to use a net, so he cast that net. He used him right where he was at, his job, your job, your workplace, your community, whatever it is, wherever you're at, using whatever God has for you to use, whatever tool he's given you. That is useful for the kingdom. You don't have to be something else. I am not Billy Graham. I can't do this and watch 5,000 people come to the Lord. I can only use what God's given me. And we'll talk more about that kind of stuff later, next week or so. Different places, believe it or not, need a different type of net or a different type of bait. Uh, you know, and I'm not a big guy on doing research as far as trends and things like that because I always try to go back to, you know, I'm just going to give them the word of God and but there are some trends, like the millennials. The millennials today, they're funny. They don't like rows. They don't like rows. They don't like things set up this way. They like things in a circle. Where you, you know, and they like to collaborate. You know? So they suggest if you're going to do a millennial Bible study or Bible study millennials, then you put them in a circle, a round table where they can look at each other you give them a scripture verse and a topic, and then they discuss how that affects them. Okay? That's what the research says, but I, I don't do a lot of stuff based on research. I just pray and do the best I can that way. Okay? But do you understand, like, our schools? Do you know why our schools were set up in rows? It goes way back to the industrial age. They set our schools up in rows, because remember, you had one-room schoolhouses during the agricultural age. Then we come into the industrial age. What were they training the kids to do? Go work in a factory where you're sitting in rows. So they set up the school that way. Now, all I'm saying is this word of God works no matter what generation. But how we cast that net and the type of bait we use may change a little bit. I'm not a great fisherman. But I do know that if you're not catching bait at one place, with one, you, you change. I watched some of these, my dad, he... He's a bass fisherman, and I mean, he'll cast two or three times. If he hasn't hit anything yet, he's changing bait two or three times, changing bait two or three times, changing bait, forever changing. I'm like, you're schizo, man. <laughs> you know, but I'm not patient enough to just put the little worm in the bobber and just sit there and wait. I don't have that kind of patience. So the point is, is God will use whatever he needs to use in you wherever you're at. Peter had a net. He says, go cast it out. And look what happened. Again, all the people that crowd around, what did they see? They saw a genuine, bona fide miracle. And then the word spread like fire. I truly believe that we're in a season where God's going to use you to so show the, his power through you in some of these areas out there. And I believe the harvest is ripe. We've just got to be conscious of being out there. You know, and we want to do some outreaches here in the near future, and, and we'll have probably a planning meeting to do some of that kind of stuff. 
But we can plan all the programs we want. It still comes down to you and me. We are his voice. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his love on this planet. We are his voice. So we cast this net. And it says in Luke 5, 9 through 11, For he and all who were with him were astonished. When God shows up, people are like, Woo! The first time I ever... I was in Africa. The first time I ever saw a demon, it, it scared me to almost... I'll just, I'll never forget it. And I won't get real graphic, but it was pretty graphic. And it was pretty wide open. It was pretty raw. When people see the power of God, but there's something about it. The very first Pentecostal church I ever went to, I thought these people were nuts. They were dancing. They were shouting hallelujah. They were raising their hands. They were doing all this stuff. But I watched the power of God manifest in people's lives, and I watched lives changed. And that's the biggest thing, a changed life. That's what people are looking for. Is what you're telling me real, and will it really change my life? Has it really changed your life, or hasn't it changed your life? Because people are looking for what, it, because they know, listen, I don't care who gets elected, doesn't get elected. They know that this, we got a mess. There's no hope outside of Christ. That's where our hope comes from. Because then, it doesn't matter. If the world falls apart tomorrow, I'm headed to heaven. Praise God. What's the worst thing you can do on this planet? Die. Okay? When I get to be in heaven, I don't have to worry about it anymore. So, they brought their boats to land, and they forsook all and followed him. When God moves in people's lives, they'll be in awe, and they will forsake the old life. But we have a choice. Our job is to get out there and make that choice available to them. And it doesn't, you don't have to have any special anything to do that other than a love for Christ. But if you do not have a love for people, you will not do this. You won't even get out the door. You won't. You've got to have a love. There's got to be a love. And it's got to be a godly love. And, and, I'll, and next week I'm going to talk about how, because when I first got born again, I was, I was pretty staunch and pretty legalistic, and, and I had an encounter with Christ that absolutely changed my entire life and how I saw people completely. One experience, and I can't look at people the same way anymore. And so, and we'll get into that next week. But the point of what I want, the whole point of today, just in summaration, holy, I'm way over time, is that at the word of God, you're going to have to launch out into, maybe it's uncomfortable places, be obedient, launch out into some maybe uncomfortable places, cast the net at the word of God and trust that he is going to do the work because he's the only one that can do it anyway. We can't make people do anything. We can't. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that today, Lord, I know every person in here, they all know people they'd like to see born again. And Lord, I know that you can use every single person in here, Lord, in this harvest field. So Lord, I pray that you just begin to show us people that we can begin to pray for, that we can sow seed into, that we can show them the love of Christ without condemning or hurting or any of that stuff. Just love them and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he's got to do in them. 
Because, Lord, I know that you can convict. The Holy Spirit convicts faster than anything I can say. And, Lord, that at the word of God, we will see powerful things happen. And, Lord, I just thank you. And we just declare that, that the power of God that's in us, the Holy Spirit that's within us, Lord, that these, these, um, these gifts of the Spirit would manifest in our lives and through us to others, and they would see the power of God, they'd be in awe, and, Lord, they would come to repentance and salvation. And, Lord, I do one more time. Lift up is Josiah, right? Is that his name? Okay, got it right. And we just declare the power of God touch his life. This tumor has to go and, be dis- and disappear in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys. Hey, thanks for staying overtime today. Didn't realize. Got a little chatty. So, all right, we'll see you next week. God bless. Have a blessed week. Go out into that harvest field.